Hello and welcome at Logistics Conversations, the podcast of the Cluster for Logistics Luxembourg. Through this podcast, you will discover the international world of our sector. Even better, you will hear passionate people and their exciting small and important stories. Logistics is essential in Luxembourg and we want you to have a look behind the scene. Good morning. This is your host, Malik Ziniti, for the ninth episode of the Logistics Conversation from the Cluster for Logistics Luxembourg. Today we have a unique experience and set up with three guests in the podcast on doing business in China. Let me first introduce my co-host, Ms. Na Shi. She is the Senior International Affairs Advisor from the Chamber of Commerce in charge of trade support for East Asia and China. And originally, she's from Tsingtao, the city where a famous beer comes from. Hello, Malik. Good morning, everybody. Nice to have you on board. Then I have to welcome a person based here also in Luxembourg, Luc Decker. He was the former Consul General and Executive Director of the Luxembourg Trade and Investment Office, which we will abbreviate LTIO, in Shanghai. And he is now in the cabinet of the Minister of Economy, Franz Fayot. He has lived more than eight years, if I'm correct, and helped build up the LTIO in Shanghai. Welcome on this podcast, Luc. Thank you. Good morning, Malik. It's a pleasure to have you. And the last guest is about 10,000 kilometers from here in Shanghai. It is Vincent Hieff. He is the Consul General and Executive Director from the LTIO in Shanghai now. And he is also the lead contact for the 50 more Chinese companies in Luxembourg and more than 44 Luxembourgish companies active in China. Welcome on this uh, podcast, Vincent. Hello, everyone, and greetings from Shanghai. Thank you. So the today's subject is about the supply chain and the trade with China. And after this long introduction, dear Luc, dear Vincent, dear Na, Together with Nashi, uh, we will want to talk about trade between China and Luxembourg. We want to concentrate more on the goods that need transportation than on the services. Uh, let's find out for our audience what opportunities exist and how we can facilitate logistics and supply chain necessary to build business. So how is China developing currently after COVID? How can Luxembourg support trade and offer supply chain support? How does the LTIO help in China? How can the Ministry of Economy in Luxembourg support our audience here at home for doing business? So those will be our subject. Last year, there was a lot of procurement of protective equipment in China. That was a major challenge. Many did have no experience how to address this. There are many other products beneath masks that can be exported or imported, and that's our focus. So my first question would be to Luc Dekar. Uh, are there some recent events that we should tackle first? I think I would uh, say yes, there is actually one very major event that happened uh, around probably December 2019 in uh, Wuhan. Uh, and since... Uh, uh, the start of uh, an epidemic that became a pandemic. Actually, actually many things changed. And uh, I don't want to go into details now on the pandemic itself, but uh, it actually changed a lot, the perception of China in the world, especially here in Europe. In early February last year, I thought actually compassion with uh, what was happening in Wuhan would prevail throughout the world. But very quickly, we saw uh, that uh, there was some, some, some racism. I don't want to go into uh, uh, to, to, to dwell upon uh, racist reactions that happened about uh, Chinese people who were beaten up in Italy, about what is even happening today, uh, sometimes in the, in the United States. Um, but uh, I think that more deeply we saw that the reaction of the world and the reaction also of China and the Chinese authorities made that even in diplomatic circles the perception has changed, especially here in Europe. Uh, so it's uh, it's something that uh, that we see that the the 
Chinese diplomats are uh, sometimes uh, referred to as wolf warriors, and uh, there is a bit of uh, of this this uh, strong answer that came as soon as somebody wanted to criticize China, and there was uh, even little things at the beginning when Europeans sent some uh, some some uh, support and some some material to China to help them tackle the uh, the epidemic. The Chinese authorities asked us to keep it low key, and uh, when a few months later, uh, masks and other and other PP uh, material, protective material, came from China. You always had big Chinese flags on it, and everyone were nearly asked to thank China for every mask that came. So that's something that was perceived and 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 is lasting and we see it uh currently still uh when even when we talk about uh, things like the comprehensive agreement on investment uh very recently there were uh, uh, there the, the tensions are there and they are much higher than they were before the pandemic so i think that this pandemic changed a lot of things but changed also uh, the perception of, of China in the world, and that's uh, uh, sometimes yeah, it, it it can be unfortunate for for uh, people who only want to do business, but unfortunately politics has uh, has also uh, an impact on business. Hello, Luke. Hello, Wenzhong. So now it's uh, my turn to ask you a question. But before, uh, just allow me to introduce myself a little bit more. I'm a Chinese original, even though. Since three years, I'm Luxembourger, and also uh, I have been working together with the whole team in Shanghai from the very beginning. I mean, before the setup of the Consulate General and the uh, former LTIO office um, from 2005 to 2011. That means uh, I have the chance to participate in the very important event for Luxembourg in terms of relation with China, uh, the milestone uh, is about the participation of Luxembourg at the World Expo Shanghai 2010. So that uh, uh, brings me to the question, my first question to both Luke and Wansong. Um, so far as I remember, the slogan of our Luxembourgish National Pavilion was small, it's beautiful too. The term on the uh, in 2010 during the whole World Expo uh, in Shanghai opened the, the door to Chinese um, for their uh, knowledge to know this uh, small but beautiful tiny country in the center of Europe. So, could you explain to the audience what changed since then? What was the influence of that uh, so important, meaningful event? Uh, in 2010, please. Um, so, yes, actually, I remember very well because uh, during the World Expo, I was uh, during uh, a little more than a month also uh, in in Shanghai uh, to to support the team. But I must say that uh, Luxembourg, or as as we said uh, then, or at, as was written in Chinese on the pavilion, Luxembao Yi Xiao Yi Mei. Um, so small and beautiful uh, is actually rather well known in China. I uh, I remember uh, walking at that time through the People's Park, and then an old guy asking me where I'm from, and I said I'm from Luxembourg, and he said, "Oh, steel industry." So it's uh, I don't think that's something that would happen in the United States or uh, is somewhere as far away as China, uh, somewhere else in the world. But uh, yes, I think it's it's still uh, it's still true that the, the the Chinese actually liked Luxembourg, and I think the Chinese still like Luxembourg. Maybe Vincent can say a little more about that, how it is, how how it is today, as it's been now uh, uh, since uh, last summer that I I left Shanghai. 
but uh, they they like Luxembourg also from a from a political perspective because we we don't give lessons and uh, that that is something that's uh, that's appreciated uh, it's clear that the relationship uh, as i said before the relationship between the eu and china a little bit changed and uh, uh, the eu sees china now as a partner as a competitor and as a systemic rival in different fields uh, the, the the way the EU looks at China obviously has an influence on the way Luxembourg uh, is also perceived in China. But I think that uh, that Luxembourg is uh, is very uh, is is a friendly country and is perceived as a friendly country in China. No, I can um, I can only echo what uh, what Luke just said. Uh, the image here of, 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 of Luxembourg is, is very good, especially because we, we have a very pragmatic approach, especially when it comes to, to business. We have, um, we have very close ties to the, to the Chinese since many, many years, and um, we have built a, a relationship based on trust over the years. So it's not, it's not a coincidence that, for example, the seven major Chinese banks have their, their European headquarters in Luxembourg and that since the first one came in 1986. So this trust has built over the years and, and um, our pragmatic, business-friendly approach still remains at a very high level here in China. Thank you, Luc and Vincent. As a record, the, during Shanghai Expo, the six-month world exhibition, more than 7 million visitors came to the 3,000 meters pavilion. Um, that Luxembourg Pavilion was extremely well received for Chinese. I think the, the that worth to mention. Maybe I can even say that that's, these are the figures of the people who went through the pavilion, but probably having the Gullefra in front of this rusty red pavilion, uh, this this place was probably the most photographed place in the whole of uh, of, of the expo area. So. It's, uh, it was a very attractive pavilion. Another question for you, uh, Luc. Um, you moved later to Shanghai in 2013 and your family joined with your two kids. Um, obviously, a lot of people will be curious, how was life for you in Shanghai and with your family? Thank you. Technically, I actually moved only with one of my kids there because uh, Louise was uh, one and a half years when we moved and Arthur was born while we were there. Uh, he was born in Luxembourg now, but uh, he moved back to China when he was 17 days old. He has a passport with a photo where he was one day old. So it's, uh, it's a pretty, uh, it, it, it was a pretty interesting move. Uh, I think it was for the kids and uh, and for us too it was a great time because the chinese are very very fond of kids and of foreign kids even more so uh, sometimes it's uh, with a newborn baby even uh, it becomes a problem because everyone wants to touch them so if he's if he's in the stroller and sleeping, they would like to touch him and wake him up. But uh, it's uh, it's really uh, the, the the kids were they 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 were just surrounded by people all the time. You went to a restaurant, whereas when you go to a restaurant in Paris and you have two kids, they would try to find a table as far away as possible, somewhere in the corner. Uh, in 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 China, you would have. Uh, uh, at least uh, uh, three people around the kids uh, to to take care of them, and and uh, uh, and everybody would would be very welcoming to you. So it's it was it was a great experience also for the kids. Actually, even today, it was funny. Just a few weeks ago, uh, one of the uh, one of the schoolmates of of Arthur, who is now six years old. Uh, told uh, told her parents that Arthur is actually he he is Luxembourgish and Chinese, because that's what he claims when he's at school. He's saying he's Chinese and uh, Luxembourgish. He has he's also Chinese, 
and uh, and and we were very happy to find uh, places here where we could order jiaozi uh, in order to feed the kids with uh, with the, the, this these uh, these these Chinese ravioli. Uh, they just love it, so it's uh, it's it's great uh, it's great memories, and uh, it's clear that uh, we we miss the people that uh, that we met over there. So I believe that the case continue speaks Chinese, speaking Chinese. They they speak a little bit, and they continue to take lessons in Chinese to uh, to keep uh, to keep the the language skills. It's actually funny because you would think that having private lessons at home is something boring and that uh, no kids would like. But actually, they are very excited every time it's uh, it's time for for Sisi to come and uh, and and give uh, her Chinese lesson to them. That's uh, fantastic. But I have to bring you from the happy memories to back to the uh, sad topic, uh, sad effect. It's the current pandemic. That uh, uh, when you left Shanghai, it was uh, 2020 in the summer. So um, what were your impressions and experiences uh, for the first part of 2020 about the fighting uh, against this, uh, this crisis together with Chinese people? Can you share with us? Yeah, that's... Uh, it's. It's actually a complex question because it's uh, it, it would require require quite long answer because there even if it's a short period of time there were so many things going on so at the beginning it was quite surprising to everyone I uh, was on on Chinese New Year holidays and uh, we saw that things were going on and we didn't really know what uh, we decided nevertheless to go back to Shanghai. In, in early February, you could sense that the, the, the authorities were, uh, they were very stressed, they, but they did not, it wasn't clear how to react. It was actually uh, funny, I remember the first briefing I attended, a uh, briefing of the consular corps by the, the Chinese, by the Shanghai authorities, and basically they said, there's hardly any risk uh, of you meeting anybody with the with the virus. Everything is good. You can you can actually next uh, next Monday start work at your consulate again. But if you go to a restaurant, you should eat alternately and always have one of you keep the mask. So you could really feel the 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 the, the tension between at some point we need to reopen and reopen the economy that was even that is something you could even sense much more a few weeks later and on the other side we need absolutely to uh, to 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 tend towards zero cases of covid and um i i remember writing some some notes to luxembourg in uh, in early february about uh, the empty streets of shanghai uh, all the restaurants closed, and uh, and at that time they had uh, something like I think at the peak they had 300 cases, not 300 cases a day, 300 cases all in all over two weeks, 300 cases. That's what we had per week. Uh, we had even per day here uh, only a few few weeks ago. So it's it's really uh, the 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 way they intervened was really, really drastic. And uh, you also could feel that here in Europe, nobody could sense or understand what was going on and how they reacted. So that's something that was really impressive. Uh, at the beginning, yes, we we tried to help the Chinese authorities. So Lux the Luxembourg government did send some uh, some protective gear, or actually Tyvek from uh, from the Dupont plant uh, here in Luxembourg via cargo locks to to China. But we in Shanghai also tried to to help. Actually, I was the the dean of the consular corps at that time, and uh, so that was 
not because I was uh, particularly uh, particularly good or whatever. I was just the longest serving consul general at the time, and um, I took the initiative to collect money from the consular staff of all the consulates, and uh, we managed to raise around forty thousand euro that we uh, we then donated to the Shanghai authorities, or actually more precisely to the uh, the team of Shanghai medical staff that uh, uh, was sent to Wuhan in order to buy the necessary uh, protective gear and uh, medication and whatever they needed. So it's uh, that, that was a little bit our contribution to this. But very soon, actually, it also changed and our uh, our role was also to help Luxembourg and it was uh, quite a dramatic change in our day-to-day business uh, for for the consulate from one day to another we became an uh, procurement office uh, so we're talking logistics yes that's a little bit what it was but it was the wild wild west over there uh, buying anything would be like okay you pay now or we sell to somebody else and uh, it's uh, it's not easy if you're government to uh, to pay in in just a few hours uh, in just a few hours time so uh, it was it was a very interesting uh, time and so yes we, we we were trying to help the Chinese side we were caring for our companies in Shanghai we were caring for our people in Shanghai we were uh, we were also uh, distributing masks to them or uh, gel for the for the hands sanitizer and then we were trying to buy masks to buy uh, gloves to buy uh, respirators uh, ventilators and it's always tricky in in English you say ventilators in French, you can't say ventilators because that's the that that's something completely different. So you say respirators in French, but so ventilators. We were trying to buy ventilators, and send them, and and there I think it was really uh, we saw that Luxembourg really had an edge because of cargo locks. That was uh, again. I mean, if we talk logistics. Uh, that was a huge difference. I had some of my colleagues asking me, but. Yeah, we 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 got a lot of uh, a lot of gear that we want to send back to uh, uh, the Czech Republic or wherever, um, but I don't know how to get it out. Or uh, oh, we had some 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 had planes uh, from the government sent to Shanghai, but that actually were not allowed to carry the things back. So the the planes just flew around empty uh, some were filling passenger planes with uh, uh, with goods and uh, so that was actually a, a relief for us to to have the the help of, of Kalkalox there and it was uh, clearly an edge that we had okay I think the next question goes to Vincent in Shanghai uh, because uh, we realized that actually as you mentioned Luke uh, the covid was the uh, fight was quite dramatic and quite successful in China so that about a year ago I was reading about a relaunch plan in China so uh, Vincent um, you are have been participating in the sort of relaunch since last summer uh, how do you see the current situation in China and the um, well you can I think you can really say that um the, the economic output of China is pretty much back to before COVID-19 levels. Um, it's especially fueled by by the local Chinese demand. And um, you can really see that the, the industry, e-commerce, all the, the different sectors of the economy are really, are really back on track. They are growing and, and pretty much everything is very close to being back to, back to normal. Um, you can see also that a lot of European or international, multinational companies that are active here in China, the, um, the fact that the market is still growing and that the demand is very high is one of the reasons why they 
remain to some extent profitable. It's the Chinese markets that keep many of these international companies afloat at the moment. So here, I'm, 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 I'm also for me personally, I'm very happy to say that that life is quite close to normality. I mean, you can you can move around within China without many many issues. Business is conducted quite normally. The, the, the shops and restaurants are, are, are open. There are just some some places where they ask you to wear a mask, like in public transport and stuff like that. But but in general, the I must say that the recuperation, the way back on track from the from the Chinese economy was quite uh, was was quite impressive. So they are um, they are very close to, to to normal capacity here in China. Thank you, Vincent and Luc. Uh, next question is about um, our national pioneer and uh, hero, the proud, when it comes to the relation between Luxembourg and China. So more than 100 years ago, an engineer, a Luxembourgish engineer, went to China. I believe you have told this story more than a thousand times. Can you tell us again, once uh, once more, about urgent Robert and his story in China in Wuhan, please. Yes, yes, Eugene Rupert. Eugene Rupert called the Chinese. Eugene Rupert was uh, an engineer uh, in the steel industry, and in 1894 he arrived in China. We like to say that he's yes, he's the Luxembourgish pioneer. He was uh, like the first Luxembourgish businessman doing business in uh, in China. I, I'm not sure that's completely true because actually he was working for a Belgian company uh, for the the Cockerill Works, uh, and uh, he uh, he was uh, sent to Wuhan to set up the Hanyang Iron and Steel Works. Uh, which was the, the first blast furnace built in China. Uh, this was an, uh, a Belgian industrial project. I would even say it was also a Belgian political project because King Leopold himself invested in that project. And uh, uh, you must know that in at the end of the 19th century, China was actually... Uh, uh, forced by the Western, uh, by the Western countries, by the Western forces to open up, and uh, and so even though Belgium did not participate in any military actions, there was an interest also of Belgium to have some uh, some influence inside China. So uh, this project probably had also these. Uh, uh, these kind of uh, of idea behind. So uh, this doesn't mean that there was nothing for Luxembourg there. It was uh, actually he was joined. Eugene Ruppert was joined by a whole team of Luxembourgish engineers uh, to build up this uh, this steel plant, and it was clear that uh, uh, the Luxembourgish know-how in the steel industry was. Uh, uh, was exported to uh, to China, and uh, just before uh, Eugene Rupert left China in 1911, uh, a real business deal for Luxembourg happened when uh, when Paul Wirth uh, delivered a, a crane for the for, uh, for for the the installations in Wuhan. So that was a business deal. I don't think there was any political uh, uh, idea behind that. So it was really purely business. And that's, uh, that's what, we, what we usually do uh, when we go to China. We think business more than politics. Yeah, thank you, Luc, for, for this report. I think before we move to Vincent to talk about actual activities, can you share with us some of the success stories in business uh, and, or with people from the, your period of responsibility in China to explain us how how is it doing business in China? So you you mean for Luxembourgish businesses and business people in yeah. China? Yes, yeah. it could be both sides. It could be Chinese companies with Luxembourg or Luxembourg companies with China. Really, you know, the things you're proud of and you will tell yeah, your kids. I, 
when they've grown up. Okay. Uh, so for the, the things I'm I'm proud of, I think that would be uh, the the largest uh, company that invested in Luxembourg during my time. That was uh, that was unfinancial, and that is uh, that was a, a long story. And uh, yes, uh, somehow a Chinese story too, because uh, from the very beginning. Uh, so we've been in touch with them. I've I've been on missions. I wasn't posted there. It was under Pierre Ferring's time when we first had uh, had meetings with Ant Financial. At that time, it wasn't even called Ant Financial. It was uh, uh, it, it was just Alipay. Uh, we were uh, talking to the the CFO at the time, Eric Jing. And then when they started to become more serious about Europe, they finally decided to go to London. Uh, they decided to go to London because they decided to to build up some serious headquarters where everybody everything would be concentrated. everything related to the Alibaba group was would be concentrated in the same spot. Then came Brexit that reopened the whole thing. But between the time when we said uh, when when they told us that they were going to London, and nearly two years later, when Brexit happened, we continuously uh, engaged with them. We launched a few projects together with them. Uh, we, uh, as as a consulate uh, first, also with the embassy, uh, and um, and we continue to stay in touch. And actually, Eric Jing, who is now the executive chairman, and uh, since uh, since a few weeks, also CEO again because the CEO was. Uh, uh, the CEO left the company. Um, he became a personal friend, and uh, and we've been uh, we've been in, in 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 contact since. And I don't say that I, I don't want to say that this is why this happened, but that's uh, or why they came to Luxembourg. But it probably was part of the equation, which is also a very Chinese equation. So yes, I have uh, I have a picture of Eric Jing with uh, Arthur on on his uh, on his lap. Uh, that's that's the kind of things that uh, so, so, sounds like sounds like really good context and patience are. To uh, I I think that important. in China, if you don't have good contacts, you don't do business, and that's that's a bit the story that you see all the time. I think that as a business person, if you if you don't know the family of your Chinese partner after a year or two, uh, you shouldn't be surprised if within two days notice he might just switch to another partner uh, personal relationships are very important and i think that's something we want to talk about the other way around i think one of the uh, examples for a luxembourgish company is certainly cargolux so cargolux uh, is an example also where uh, even though there was an investment by uh, the Henan province into Kagolax, the uh, ties, the personal ties, the political ties, but the personal political ties uh, are very important. So it's uh, it's not by chance that uh, when uh, when Prime Minister Butler visited China for the, his first official visit, he was there for three days. He was one day in Beijing, one day in uh, Zhengzhou, and then back one day in Beijing. So these things do matter a lot in China and a lot more than they would uh, they would do here. So uh, uh, it's it's clear that this is something that people need to understand if they want to do business in China. Thank you, Luke. So my question goes to Wansang, to Shanghai again. Uh, you mentioned, uh, uh, Vincent, that uh, there are more, already seven major Chinese banks uh, settled in Luxembourg. Luxembourg is also uh, the largest global domicile of investment fund in mainland China. Uh, no less than seven, uh, 37% of global market share. Um, Malik mentioned as well the figures of Chinese companies active in Luxembourg. So my question goes to the Luxembourgish companies in China. So uh, can you explain to us, maybe with the most recent figure, um, and uh, 
how is that uh, increasing, increasing and uh, how are they uh, how are their activities and their development situation please so there are two types of companies um, actually you have luxembourg companies that have a proper presence here in china and luxembourg companies that do business with china um, the ones that have a proper presence here in china the number is at the moment quite steady we are looking at around 40 companies that are here on a regular basis that have a, a presence here amongst them or many of the big ones we all know i mean um, arcelormittal Paul Wirt, of course, um, Cargo Looks, which, which Luke already mentioned. So these are companies that, that have a, a presence here and that have um, a permanent activity here in China. About a couple of weeks ago, I had, um, I had lunch with the main CEOs of these Luxembourg companies just to, to find out a little bit how business is going and, and how they are doing with the with and they they all explained to me that, that business is really doing well. The, the demand in the Chinese market is, is, is increasing steadily. I talked, for example, to, um, to the representatives from ArcelorMittal. ArcelorMittal, for example, especially the construction sector locally, as well as the, um, the automotive sector, are really pulling demand, and they are seeing um, record numbers here, here in China. So, so as I explained briefly earlier, the the local Chinese market is really helping the worldwide group result during this during this current crisis. Um, when it comes to companies that are trading with China, here we don't have such a good view on the on the numbers because they're not always in, in contact with us. Some of them do it on their own, or they have um, they have consultants and other companies do business. But um, but we get quite a few requests of of companies that haven't been active here. So new companies that are looking at China, startups that are trying to find out about the Chinese market. But um, this is something Luke knows very well. A lot of people that want to trade with China, they have an idea about China, what, what they think it is. But then if we discuss a little bit more in detail what the China market really is like, what to expect, and what investment it also takes to, to start selling your products here in China, then it... Um, they need to very often adapt their strategy a little bit to, to the Chinese market. But um, also on that level, we see the demand increasing from Luxembourg. At least want to know more about China and if it would make sense for them to trade with China. Thank you, Vincent. Um, may I continue to ask that, as all we, we all know that China is uh, uh, far ahead of, the, of Europe and the world uh, um, in terms of uh, digital economy and e-commerce. So, can you explain a little bit uh, about the, their um, advanced uh, technology and the market situation uh, when it comes to this sector, the e-commerce market? Uh, I, as we have been um, invited, uh, Alibaba, G GD, etc., these uh, leading companies, when we organized the uh, economic mission of Luxembourgish companies uh, to Shanghai? Well, I, I think there are three elements. Um, the first element is really the, the strength of their, um, of their supply chain and, 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 and the distribution. They have a network of, 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 of different levels of logistics that, that work seamlessly together. So it goes from the from the plane to the boat down to the local guy on his little motorcycle delivering the final mile, right? So this is a, you see thousands of these motorcycles running around in the different cities. So they, this is much more developed than what we, um, than what we see, see in Europe. So really the purely the logistical aspect. Secondly, it's also a question of consumer habits. Um, the Chinese are used to buying online much more than we do. I mean, I've been here in China now close to nine months. We shopping the last time about six months ago. So all the basic groceries where we still usually go to shops, you buy everything online. Everything is delivered. And so all the little small things where we maybe in Europe would hesitate to buy online, it's totally normal here in China. I mean... People, for example, in the office, if they want a coffee from Starbucks, they order it. And 10 or 15 minutes later, they will get their coffee delivered. They don't even walk out to get their coffee. So 
we have more the I mean, at least in Europe, we more have the habit of ordering maybe bigger things on on the internet or or books or things like that. But when it comes to the, the really the basic everyday everyday stuff, we still don't don't do it regularly. Which here in China, they they are full, they are completely in. So so like I said, the lunch, dinner, the coffee, the the basic um, all the basic needs you have on on a daily basis, they they order online. And of course, when I say online, I mean on the phone. Nobody uses a laptop or a PC or anything like that. Everything happens on the phone. Um, all the communication happens on the phone. You don't, I think, look can confirm if you wanted to, and you wouldn't have to send emails to Luxembourg. You could only work with your phone. You wouldn't need anything else here in the office. And and then finally, I think the third element that plays a huge role is the electronic payment. Um, you have two to three major players here in China that that have this this market and everything is paid with your phone. You don't use cash, you don't use credit card or debit cards, you only use your phone. So you have a fully integrated system from from choosing what you want to buy to payment to delivery. Everything happens digitally in one app on your phone. So just to to um to sum up the main the main elements are the, the logistics um, the e-payment and um, the, the strengths of the platforms and the consumer habits. Thank you, Vincent. So um, maybe one word about uh, the uh, the impact of the innovation power made in China 2025 strategy. Mm -hmm. So um, currently... Um, China is mostly known, at least in, in, in Europe, it is different when you live here, but um, China is mostly known as the world's factory, right? So a lot of production of, of, of many, many different things, but it is currently not really known for, for innovation, at least in the Western world. In the strategy for 2025, which is um, part of the, the, the 14th five-year party, they want to to continue to change this. So they want to, to change from, um, let's say, a little bit low-end production company to a high-end innovation company, uh, country. And, and you can see that when you, when you visit companies here. The, the productions are fully automated, um, barely any, any workers anymore in, in, many of the big, uh, in, in many of the big factories. And the same goes for the logistics sector. We have visited... Um, we have visited um, com, and there as well, just like in factories, everything is, is, is fully automated. Barely any work is there anymore just for, for quality checks and to make sure everything is okay. So in, in the Chinese mind, they, they have missed out on the second and the third industrial revolution in the past. And for them, it's very clear that the current one, so the fourth industrial revolution, they want to be a leader. And, 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 and you can really feel it here on the ground, how they are changing from a more, I would say, industrial country to a really high-tech production company. Uh, thank you very much, Vincent. This is uh, quite interesting for our listeners and audience. Um, Luc, I would like to come back. Maybe you can add something to this Made in China strategy because that's important for our industrial backbone, but also maybe you can give us some of the amazing visits you have been able to make during your period in China. Yeah. Um, yes, actually, on the Made in China 2025, I think it's uh, it's quite clear what Vincent said. It's something that was uh, uh, very prominent a few years ago when, it, when the plan was launched. Um, I remember the... Um, I remember the chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce saying, oh, this is like a shopping list. What, uh, what companies, uh, Chinese companies should buy outside in order to be stronger in these fields that were laid out in this plan. Uh, since the plan has been used more low key, but the idea is clearly to move up the value chain and to be, uh, to, to be, a technology-driven country and to be good in all these sectors that are uh, to not to be good, to be actually at the forefront and cutting edge on in all these sectors that are uh, laying out in the, in the plan. Um, regarding 
visits, I, 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 I would, I would like to start by reacting on what uh, what Vincent said about uh, the the e-commerce and about uh, how you just buy. I mean, you 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 have a party, you don't have ice cubes, you just buy ice cubes, and 15 minutes later you have your ice cubes. I mean, that's that's how China works and. How is this possible? I think one of it, it's it's not so high tech what I've seen there, but one of the companies that really were the most impressive for me was uh, visiting Chema, or uh, also similarly Carrefour Market, Carrefour Le Marché, I think they called it. So it's it's an, a new sort of uh, supermarket where the experience would be a little bit different. So if you go there, you buy, you, you, you scan yourself and, 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 and you can pay by facial recognition or uh, at least you pay with your phone. And uh, that's something that's, uh, that's been very... Uh, Vincent also spoke about fintech companies and online payments. Uh, that is clearly something that has changed dramatically uh, in in, uh, in in the seven years that I've been there. Uh, in 2013, China was uh, mainly a cash-based society. Uh, after f- five years later, the Chinese central bank had to remind all businesses that the RNB was the official currency and that they had to accept the, uh, the currency because you would go to the ice cream shop around the corner, you would want to pay cash, they would say, no, we don't want to. You have WeChat Pay or you have Alipay, otherwise we don't sell you an ice cream. Yeah, maybe I can remember that before we were flying out last time, uh, in an early flight, we had. Uh, it was amazing. If you don't have WeChat in China, you don't exist really. And if you cannot pay as a foreigner in China, if you don't find a way to pay in China, it, it's getting complicated because you have to scan a QR code to pay. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I remember that I can I could not even call a taxi without <coughs> an application on my phone. Yes, I mean, if uh, Shana, <laughs> if you don't have the applications, you're not Chinese anymore. So that's why you now have the Luxembourgish nationality. <laughs> Thank you. But but coming back to this to to these uh, supermarkets, actually, and that's from a logistics point of view interesting, and from a uh, from a supply chain point of view interesting. They would have these people in the shop who would get the, um, the, 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 the uh, orders from online and they would prepare them. So actually the, the shop that is in town becomes an, uh, a proximity warehouse because if they want, if, if Chinese people, when they buy online, they want to be delivered within an hour it's not like here you do uh, you, you, you you go to Luxcaddy and you try to get the, the to, to get a slot to be delivered like two days later. There it's like one hour or two hours later. That is something you can't do from an from a warehouse that is outside the city. You have to be inside the city. So you have this shop, and you go inside the shop. You, you can buy inside the shop if you want, inside the supermarket. But there you have one person per... Um, so you have you have like the person that's in charge of fish, you have the person in charge of the cookies, you have the person... And so if you bought some... If you ordered some fish and some cookies, the fish guy would put some fish into a basket. The basket, he would hang it on a... Uh, on a conveyor belt that would go over the heads of the normal people inside the shop, go down in the in, in the cookie uh, uh, in the cookie area, and there the guy would say, "Okay, he wants these cookies and these cookies." Adds it to the to the cart, which again goes up until uh, everything is inside. The whole order is 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 uh, is fulfilled, and then it goes into the uh, in into the back. Everything is wrapped up, packed. And then you have all these people on their scooters who drive out and bring it to your door. So it just takes between half an hour and two hours. But 
if you're on if if it takes you more than two hours, you are out of business. So that was probably one of those things that are really mind blowing. Of course, I've seen things uh, from crazy things like I've visited Broad, uh, who is building like containers that uh, put together make a building. So you they would build a a twenty story building in a week uh, with everything inside. Uh, you I saw some uh, uh, facial recognition companies. That's uh, so. You go inside and they show you and 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 they would uh, they would tell you how not only if you're male or female, not only how tall you are, but they would tell you how old you are and they are two years uh, the, 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 they are about two years correct in in, in, in the, the age they say. Uh, I've visited an, uh, an insurance company that is uh, uh, investing a lot in AI and it's like basic research they have in in the things they are doing they have like one thing is one application they were working on is like the computer is studying uh, Van Gogh's and is able to paint a new Van Gogh that does not exist that's just the style of Van Gogh and you would say oh that's a Van Gogh but it's just, I mean, it's just impressive. And that's an insurance company because they want to be, they, they, for, for applications, I mean, this is, I, I'm not sure what the application there is, but it's, uh, it might be able to recognize at least uh, if it's a, a, a real or not a real Van Gogh. But on the other hand, if you call their call center, that's AI replying to you. And it, it would, within China recognize your accent and answer in the accent of where you're from. So these are things that they are doing for so to, to make people feel comfortable. You have this AI application. It's not a call center in uh, somewhere in India where you have somebody with an, with an Indian accent that uh, you barely understand. Uh, it's something, uh, it, it's, it's, it's an AI replying to you in an, with, an, with an accent that is actually your accent. So it's really, there are fascinating things. Okay, so uh, thank you to have um, to have talked about artificial intelligence because obviously we could not have this podcast without talking about the advance in artificial intelligence in China. Uh, uh, before we come to the end questions, and we have to reinvite you guys um, of this podcast, uh, logistics conversation from the cluster for logistics, we cannot. Uh, avoid to talk at least a little bit about the Belt and Road, but also the sustainable transport aspects. We know our member CFL is a regular guest, has been regular guest in China to set up sustainable rail link and uh, in the frame of what we call the Belt and Road program. Uh, we have seen Duisburg has had last year an explosion of rail connections, also uh, probably supported by the absence of belly on the ra on the air airline side. So, uh, Vincent, can you explain a bit about the current status on the Belt and Road and its impact to us? And obviously, both you can both talk about it because you were there probably when it was launched. Vincent is in the Belt and Road, uh, and how important is it today? Well, um, maybe just to, to, to start maybe with the Luxembourgish perspective. So Luxembourg was the second European country after Italy to sign the Belt and Road with China. The most important part of the Belt and Road initiative is the, the air cargo link between Luxembourg and China with, with cargo locks. I mean, Luke already talked about this before, the, the special link Luxembourg has with, um, with China and the Henan province through, through cargo locks. Just maybe to... To illustrate this, because people are not always aware of this, the, the, the quantity of flights. I mean, to Shanghai alone, we have 18 flights per week from Luxembourg, cargo locks flight, to Hong Kong, 37, and to Zhengzhou, 17. So this is only for one week. So you can see the, 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 the importance the, um, that, that China plays in, in cargo locks um, activity. So this was one of the main reasons... Um, that this 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 um, belt and 
Belt and Road Initiative is, is so important for for Luxembourg due to our to our link in the in the air cargo industry. Um, the current situation right now is that um, in Lux in, in in China the discussions about the Belt and Road Initiative since COVID have quieted down a little bit. The Chinese government has other policies they are currently focusing on. So it's not that they, they have forgotten about it, but they they have other focus points at the moment, namely what we discussed before, digitalization, um, Industry 4.0, really turning China into an innovation powerhouse. And they see the Belt and Road Initiative as the the logistical backbone for this project. But since they are more focusing on the R&D part at the moment, they are continuing to, to develop the Belt and Road Initiative, but the political focus here in China, at least, or the economic focus is more on, the, is more on making China the world's innovation powerhouse. So, yeah, maybe, maybe then I, I will see a little uh, say say a little more about what the belt and road initiative may be uh and was intended to from 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 the chinese perspective actually it's interesting to hear that today uh it's quieted down a little bit but uh i remember when it was launched at the time they were speaking about one belt one road so it was uh, obor sounds very interesting if you speak about obor and uh and and then the nickname was the silk road and uh actually at the time you couldn't listen to an official speech you couldn't have a conference without mentioning the silk road or the belt and road initiative everything became belt and road i mean we've been talking with the chinese who wanted to have a, a belt and road table tennis uh, link with luxembourg so everything became belt and road and was branded Belt and Road because that was the priority from the Chinese perspective. So if you if you had something branded Belt and Road, it was uh, supposed to be accepted by the leaders and uh, and supported by the leaders. Uh, Belt and Road is actually much more than about just logistics. It's uh, it's an initiative to um, build infrastructure where Chinese would support uh, the, the, the building of infrastructure, finance. That doesn't mean they give grants. That's, uh, also, uh, there's, uh, there's also a debt ap- ex- uh, uh, an, an, uh, an aspect on, on debt that is, uh, that is uh, quite important. Uh, but uh, it's uh, so infrastructures in energy, infrastructures in uh, it, it can be logistics. I mean, there's lots. You've seen a lot of investments in ports, um, sometimes with contro- uh, controversy, but uh, ports in Sri Lanka, ports in uh, in Greece. So uh, there was there was a lot of talk about uh, about Belt and Road and uh, yes I mean at the time uh, I, I already mentioned when uh, when uh, Xavier Buttel uh, as a prime minister went uh, to uh, to China he met uh, then also with uh, with the prime minister of China and also with Xi Jinping the president and uh, Xi Jinping during this uh, talks mentioned that uh, the links between uh, between the, the air cargo links between china and uh, and luxembourg uh, was the uh, silk road in the air and that is something that is that is also what's uh, the belt and road initiative is known for in luxembourg it's like oh it's the silk road in the air it's the silk road it's the logistics and and yes, it's also maybe uh, CFL uh, who, uh, who who for the moment uh, had uh, one train uh, from uh, from Luxembourg to China and one train from China to Luxembourg, uh, so it does work. Now they need to to uh, have market uh, the market demand to to do this, but uh, it's uh, it's interesting to to yes to brand everything like as 
Silk Road, and once it was stamped with Silk Road, it was uh, it was naturally good. So that's uh, that's a bit what uh, what the Silk Road was uh, was very often uh, and is referred to here in Luxembourg. We talk we know mo mostly about the logistics, but it's much more than logistics. On a basic uh, practical basis, we can also consider this as a call to all Luxembourgish producer for goods who uh, look to exportation to China. Don't forget to use uh, the, the, this Air Silk Road as well as CFL Rail Road because there we have uh, spaces to bring your, your goods to, to China. Yes, of course, we can bring goods to China. Uh, if we have to call it Silk Road, that's another question. But uh, yes, Cargolux does fly to China and uh, uh, sometimes uh, maybe CFL will be, uh, will be uh, bringing uh, goods to China. On the other, the, the other way around, I mean, the Post is, uh, has, has launched the Post Logistics. I remember uh, the, 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 the first time uh, Achim Taylor came to, to China and we, had, uh, uh, we were actually quite involved, uh, the ministry and uh, the Trade and Investment Office, to, to, to bring the project uh, to, to, to maturity because uh, by talking to, to, to people there, there was a lot the, 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 the understanding came that there was really a demand and today I mean just a couple of weeks ago we visited uh, the, the post logistics uh, center here on at, at Findel with the, the crown prince and the minister of the economy uh, when I went to China there was no post logistics so things are happening and things are happening in both ways if you want to sell to China and if you uh, if 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 the Chinese want to distribute to Europe, I think that Luxembourg has a, uh, an important role to play in both ways. For my uh, last question, I think, as we all know, that Chamber of Commerce, together with the Ministry of the Economy, we organize a series of webinars at this special uh, COVID time. Um, but because we haven't uh, stopped. Uh, doing business and promoting a Chinese market to Luxembourg companies and vice versa. So this uh, series of webinars Go International China will have uh, the focus on our LTIO office Shanghai in September. So please uh, pay attention. The invitation will come soon. So come back to my uh, last question to uh, Vincent and also to Rick, of course. Then uh, 2022 will mark the 50th anniversary of the establishments of diplomatic relations between China and Luxembourg. So are there any special activities um, from Shanghai side, from the Consulate General and ITIO to uh, a better support and promotion uh, that planned? Please, this goes to Wansang. Um well, first of all, this, this this marks a really, really important. Uh, it's really important milestone for for the relations between Luxembourg and um, and China. Um, we are currently we are looking into this, of course, in collaboration with our embassy in uh, in in Beijing. The, um, for us, the unknown, of course, is the is is the COVID nineteen situation in Luxembourg. We just a couple of days ago, if I'm not mistaken. Newspaper that this year's this year's National Day celebration will not be the one we know, maybe another form or maybe none at all. I guess that's still to be decided, but not the usual form we have known before last year. So, so here as well, we are waiting a little bit on 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 the evolution of of COVID nineteen in Luxembourg to see what we can do and 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 how we can celebrate this. For 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 us, of course, the ideal would be if 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 we would have in, in our case here in Shanghai, Minister Fayo coming to to China to to Shanghai to celebrate the 50 years, right? But but this will really depend on how the on how the situation of the of, of the of the virus changes in uh, in in Luxembourg. Um, but but generally, we we do want to mark this anniversary. So so we are currently 
working together with the embassy in, in Beijing, currently trying to figure out an appropriate way to, to celebrate this very important milestone, but still respecting the, um, the COVID situation in, in, in Luxembourg and around the world. But, but the hope is, as I said, to have Luxembourg presence in China in 2022. Okay, uh, we come to the end of a very long XL uh, podcast uh, with Luc Decker and Vincent Heath, uh, both at a certain time in Shanghai, <laughs> now in Luxembourg. Um, my summary, uh, before I give the last work to, uh, to Luc and Vincent, is that we have strong economic ties, which we talked about, but digitization is a major focus as well in Luxembourg as well as a very advanced China. Uh, the LTIO, the Ministry of Economy and the Chamber of Commerce, they are ready to support this business with China from both sides. And it is very important to consider also the supply chain because that will make uh, the, uh, the trade between Europe, Luxembourg and China uh, strong. Something you want to add? Thank you for having been on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Malik. I, I would like to give a word of advice and say a word of hope. So first of all, all a word of advice. I think that if you want to do business in China, you need to take it seriously. You need to, uh, to be prepared to invest time and money into, into that market. It's not easy. And, uh, but it's very promising. Uh, a word of hope, I hope that uh, it will be possible, as Vincent just said, uh, it will be possible to, to uh, go to China again, to travel again. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's a word of hope, not only because I like to travel, but I think it's, uh, it's important for our country, for the people, in our country. It's important for the people in China. It's actually important for the people all around the world. Because in these times where we are at home and not able to engage with, uh, with, with people or properly engage with people around the world, we tend to become uh, more focused on ourselves and less open-minded so I, I really think that uh, uh, opening the borders again is uh, something that is of utter importance to the world thank you very much Vincent you want to add a last word Yes, I'll be quick. I would like to first thank the, the Cluster for Logistics and the Chamber of Commerce for, for, giving, for giving me the opportunity to, to be here today. I start to, to miss my Luxembourgish friends. I was anticipating many visits from, from the, the economic community and so far I've been here nine months and I'm all alone. So I, I look forward to you guys coming, coming over. And finally, I would like to say in, um, together with the Chamber of Commerce, we are there to help you the entrepreneurs, the companies that are interested in the Chinese market. So just know that China is open for business. The Chamber of Commerce and the Luxembourg Trading Investment Office is there to help you. Yeah, my last uh, word is to inform you, um, together with the, uh, in September, the Go International webinar I just announced, we are also organizing the second digital trade mission to China in June, end of June by the Chamber of Commerce to continue last uh, November's trade mission to China. Please don't miss to participate at this webinars. Thank you. Thank you very much to everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Logistics Conversation. You can find our podcast and interview on SoundCloud, Spotify, and of course our webpage www.c4l.lu Thank you.